morning, Crossroads family, and thank you for being here today. And um, I didn't give you a chance to say good morning back, but um, so good morning. Uh, for those of you watching us online, thank you for inviting us into your home. We welcome you into ours, and we are glad that you are with us today. I shared in the first service, it was interesting, I had not realized that this was occurring. I knew it was happening, but it had not occurred to me in my mind that, um, so our staff, I, I manage Cedar Grove Retreat Center, and oftentimes on Sundays we have church groups out there, and so staff has to work. I mean, many, many of our staff have to work on Sunday mornings, and uh, as we prepare meals and things like that for the group that's out there but particularly uh, Laura Overcash when she's working um, always usually watches the service online and so we have a lot of high school kids that, that work for us and college kids and so at the 930 service she's almost always and have has the service playing while um, while the kids are preparing the meals and stuff like that and so I happen to think about you know I know we've been talking about investing in and, and upgrading and stuff like that but I think we underestimate the impact um, that not only happens here on Sunday mornings but also the impact that we're having um, throughout the community and throughout the world um, through uh, the media um, platform that we have now that just simply didn't didn't exist and so so praise God for that and I thank him that uh, that we're able to do that Pastor Lowell was here during the first service um, he is hoping to be back next week he's recovering very well um, he's not any more attractive than he was when he left but nonetheless he's recovering well I didn't say that in the first service because he was sitting here but I'd rather talk about him when he's gone but He'll eventually see that. Um, so anyway, he's hoping to be back. I thank you for allowing me to, to share with you these, these last two Sundays, but I'm, I'm looking forward to, to Lowell being back with us and glad he's recovering. But continue to pray um, for them. Last week I shared um, a story out of the book of John from chapter 21, and I shared a story of a miracle that John had, had kind of ended and wrapped up um, his gospel with. And I talked about how John wrote the gospel very differently than, and had a very different approach than the other three uh, gospels. And that was that John focused primarily on a handful of Jesus' miracles. And he did this to demonstrate for the, the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah that they had been waiting on. And I wrapped up that message really trying to reinforce this idea that I don't want us to miss the Messiah for the miracles, right? I don't want the miracles of, of Christ, the miracles that he performed, the evidence that he gave us of, of who he was. I don't want that to become the focus point of our worship and we miss the Messiah. And I ended by saying, as, as we showed at the beginning, that, that the greatest miracle that happened was that Jesus met them where they're at. And so I want to kind of build on that today because I really believe that the greatest miracle that Jesus does is the transformation that takes place in us. That of all the miracles that I've ever seen, the transformation of my own heart is the greatest miracle that I've watched Jesus do. And is the greatest miracle that's still unfolding before me. And I want to focus on that for just a minute because I really do think that that, that is the greatest miracle. And, and so is, is Christ working, working in us. We're on this series called Game Changers. We're talking about the Holy Spirit and, and it's important for us to, to spend some time as a family teaching on the Holy Spirit because at the end of the day, it is the Holy Spirit, it is, it is Christ in us and it's the Holy Spirit's work in our lives that changes us. And that change happens from the inside out. And I was... Um, thinking about how fortunate we are to live in today's time because we experience, we experience something now that, that our Old Testament brothers and sisters only wish that they could have experienced. 
But I want to share with you kind of a little story, um, some examples to kind of lead into that. So when Katie and I first got married, um, we, we eloped. We got married on a Wednesday at Frank List Park at 1130. Um, we had uh, we'd only been dating a few months. In fact, we had really been dating less than three months. We we met and, and got engaged, and she said, "I like it, so I'm going to put a ring on it." And uh, so that's what happened. Um, she didn't want to wait, so we got married. Um, so we got married, we eloped, and then we waited. We we did a big reception a few months later, and then we waited till the following year to do kind of like a big honeymoon. And we chose to go to Glacier National Park and to go to Yellowstone National Park. So we spent about two weeks um, traveling um, in Glacier and Yellowstone. And in between those two, we took what we called zero days, where we just took some rest days in a little town called Missoula, Montana. It's kind of in between Yellowstone and Glacier. Now, Missoula's a college town, but I immediately fell in love with Missoula. There was just all kinds of amazing things to do. I mean, they they have a river that runs right through the middle of town, and they had built this uh, whitewater park, kind of like our Whitewater Center right out in that. And it was just an incredible place. You could bike everywhere and I mean you're surrounded by all this beauty and there's tons of places to go hiking and all these all these things that you can do. And I remember telling Katie, wouldn't it be amazing to to live in a town like this? Man, we could just we could move here and we could do this and we could do this. And she's like, yeah, it's nice, but you know, perhaps it would get old. You know, there, there's there's a lot of advantages to living where we're living. But I was just so in love with that place that I wanted to move there. And Katie was, you know, like any loving wife would be, she was, smiled graciously and said, okay, and, and we moved on to the, to the next big idea that I had, right? And a few years later, um, I found myself, I went to Kenya and I got to watch the, the sunset across the desert and with the mountains as a backdrop and I, I fell in so in love with the culture and the people there and, the, and the, the ministry that we got to experience and God moving and working that I came home and I'm like, alright, that's it. I think we're moving to Kenya. Like, that's what we're going to do. We're gonna, it was just so amazing. You got to go and experience this. And she, again, smiles and says, okay, well, we'll pray about that. Now, I'm a mountain guy. I love the mountains. I love creation. And I love being outdoors. And, and uh, yeah, and I just love that. I'm not much of a beach guy. I mean, I get the beauty of the ocean. Like, I, I love once a year to go to the beach and sit in the sand and, and watch the, the tide roll in. But it's, it's not really something I've ever desired to be at all the time until a few weeks ago. So, a few, few weeks ago... Um, Katie, or a few months ago, Katie came and said, hey, um, I think we need to do this big family vacation, and I think we should go on a cruise. Now, I'm not, again, not a real big, huge beach guy. I'm definitely, am not uh, super thrilled about the idea of being locked on a giant ship with several thousand other people, um, because I can think of all the things that could go wrong and uh, with the boat or with people getting sick, and just, I was just like, I do not want to do a cruise, and I was not looking forward to this. Now, bear in mind, my wife didn't want to do just any cruise. She wanted to do a Disney cruise, all right? So we sold all of our possessions to pay for it uh, so that we could go on this Disney cruise because you get what you pay for, but you pay for it. <laughs> okay, you, it is, um, but it was an amazing, amazing experience, right? As, as all of our trips that, that Katie has taken us on have been. But this interesting thing occurred. So we, I had never, like I shared last week, I had never been in the Caribbean, so I had never seen, you know, just deep, deep blue water. I had really never seen um, turquoise water with white sandy beaches. I'd never seen any of that stuff. 
So when we get to Castaway K and I wake up and I walk out and I'm looking at, at Disney's private island and you're standing on the top of the ship and you're looking across this whole island, it was breathtaking. And we spent the day snorkeling, we spent the day biking across this island, and I was just in awe of its beauty. That evening I was standing on the very top of the ship and I'm watching the sunset and I'm taking pictures, but I'm watching the staff um, from Castaway Cay down there and kind of moving equipment around and cleaning up and everything from the guest. And I came back and I told Katie, I was like, I love Cedar Grove, but I think that I could spend a couple seasons running Castaway Cay, right? Like I think I could move to the beach, I could live, I think I could do that for a while, right? So, and I think many of you have experienced that, right? Many of you have found yourselves in, in moments in time in which you were so overwhelmed by that moment, by the beauty of that moment, that you wanted to stay in that moment as long as you possibly could, right? And there's all kinds of moments like that in our lives. You know, I, I think about, you know, the, the, when I watched my son being born or, um, or my children being born, when I, the day I got married. And I, I can just think of moments after moments after moments in my life where I'm going, that was such an incredible moment. I just want, I want to live in this moment forever. And I think that when, I, when I've experienced Glacier and Yellowstone and Kenya and places like that, the reason that I'm captivated by those moments is because it's in those moments that I recognize his presence, right? That, that creation declares the glory of God. And so when, we're, when we see these amazing moments and we, we encounter his presence, there is something, it is well with our soul, right? Like we want to stay in that moment and we want to be in his presence. A few weeks ago, I was doing a devotion with my kids, and, um, and it was nothing fancy. Every morning, we just simply, whatever, we have the little Bible app on our phone. I've shared this with you. And whatever, whatever verse is on the Bible app, that's what we do in the mornings right before the kids get on the bus. And that particular morning, there was a, a verse from Psalms 27. And it says, it was David, and he was saying, praying, One thing I ask from the Lord, this is, only this do I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And I spent a few minutes and I thought about the difference that you and I have post the resurrection versus the and 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 having witnessed the coming Messiah versus our brothers and sisters like King David who were waiting on the Messiah to come. That, that they experienced God through his creation. They experienced God through various means. But, but the ability to dwell in his presence all the days of their lives was something that they were trying to obtain. David even goes on in Psalms 84 to say, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord or the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'm always amazed um, when we really spend time reading the scriptures, the, the foreshadowing and the story and the picture that it's painting that, that God really doesn't mix words, right? Like every Everything that he does, every story he tells, every, everything has a point. 
And it was interesting to me as I studied this passage, um, and I didn't include uh, in Psalms 27, I didn't include the last verse, but it, it hit me the day when it, not only did he say to seek him in his temple, but then he said, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle. Now see, King David experienced the presence of the Lord very differently than you and I did. The Israelites experienced it very different. They, they had the Old Testament system of the tabernacle and then Solomon built the temple. And the way that system worked, if you remember the story of the Passover and you remember how atonement works, is that once a year... The children of Israel would offer a sacrifice, and that sacrifice, because, and if you remember in Genesis, God said that if you sin, the wages of sin is death. So if you sin, something must die. So when Adam and Eve sinned, God immediately sacrificed an animal, clothed them in that skin, thus atoning or covering their sin, and that blood shed by that animal was their atonement. And so we fast forward to the days of King David and that, that system is still set up. And so the way that system would work is once a year on the day of atonement, the high priest and only the high priest would pass through the veil that separated this world from the, from the presence of God and the holy of holies and would offer atonement for the children of Israel. Now that atonement wasn't the forgiveness of sins, rather it was the covering of sins. And the illustration I know I've used, I believe Pastor Lowell has used, is that what would happen is it would be like, it would be like taking your sins, the blood would cover your sins so that God would stare upon them no more. And it would be like taking all of our sins and putting them in a big pot and putting a lid on it. They're still present, they're still there, but, but God has atoned for or covered them. And that kind of ritual had to happen every year. And David is saying that I long to be in the temple. I long to be in the presence of the Lord. I long to enter the holy of holies. But remember, only the high priest can do that. And so I long to be in there. But I know that in the day of trouble, in the days to come, there's going to be provision made that allows that to happen. Because God is going to shelter me and protect me and cover me. We fast forward to Jesus' time, and Matthew introduces Jesus by saying that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. That God is beginning to reveal, as Tracy said, that this was not some accidental story that he happened upon. He's not, he's not writing this script as he's going along, that, that he's had a plan since the beginning and, and now Jesus has come. And so this, this Emmanuel, this God with us that David and, and many of the others prayed for and, and longed for is now here in the flesh. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And Jesus comes at a time that the temple system still exists. I've got a picture of the temple up here. And the way the temple would have worked is the temple would have existed in three, three main parts. You would have had this outer courtyard, this big, this bigger area around the outside. That would have been the two sides off, off of there. And that was called the, the outer courtyard or the courtyard of the Gentiles. And if you'll remember from your biblical history that the Gentiles are non-believers in our day's terms, right? They wouldn't have been God's chosen people, but they would have been everybody else. But the courtyard was open to all. Anyone could come into the courtyard, including those who were seeking to learn about God or seeking to know more about this God. 
Also in the courtyard is where, especially during the Passover, is where the, the Jews and the, that lived afar who were traveling um, to celebrate the Passover and the Day of Atonement. This would have been the, where they would have entered as they traveled into town. The next part is the, is the inner courtyard. That would have been where the, the, those who are believers could come and the ministering priests could, could minister with them. Could, um, they could make sacrifices and things like that. And then the very, very inner part, that's where the veil existed and the holy of holies was. And that's where the glory and the spirit of God dwelled. And only again, the high priest, once the high priest had been sanctified, once he had been sanctified, and only once a year could the high priest then enter the Holy of Holies to atone for the people. And Jesus comes into the courtyard of the Gentiles, and if you remember, he becomes angry and he begins to turn over tables. And I want to give you some illustrations and context as to why that happened. So, again, remember that the courtyard of the Gentiles, a good example that, I, that, I, that came to me was it would be kind of like a modern-day airport. Like you're flying into a city, right? And when you get off the plane, there are, there are items that you can purchase. If you've traveled far and you've forgotten something, or maybe you've traveled and you weren't able to bring something because you couldn't take it on the plane, you could purchase it there. Also, you can exchange money in an airport, right? You're flying in from another country and you need to exchange currency. Well, the courtyard of the Gentiles was the same. Those who were traveling from afar to, to celebrate the Passover, maybe they were traveling far enough they didn't want to bring the animals that they were going to offer as a sacrifice, but they could purchase them there. Or if they needed to exchange currency while they were in town and things like that, they could do that. But Jesus became very upset because, remember, this courtyard is, is for those who are tired and weary and seeking rest and those who are ignorant of who God is who are seeking his face and what Jesus found when he entered this courtyard were his people price gouging they were selling animals at, an, uh, at a high rate they were, they were giving people improper or un- unfair exchange rates and he realized in that moment that, that was a, a very very poor representation of what lied inside that temple. And so he became angry and he began to drive them out and and he began to question their motives. But I also want you to understand that, that Jesus is pointing to the fact that the system... That there's a better way, that Jesus is here to, to build upon, and that, that that foreshadowing that we've been talking about, that in the day of trouble, when, when, things, are, when things are beginning to turn for the worse, that, that, that the Messiah is coming, and now the Messiah is here. Matthew 27 says that on the day that Jesus was crucified it says and when Jesus cried out again in a loud and when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice he gave up his spirit at that moment the curtain or the veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom the earth shook and the rock split i don't want us to miss what Jesus is doing in this moment that 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 at the moment of his sacrifice, when, when the one true spotless lamb, the only lamb that was pure enough that, that could take away the sins of the world, was sacrificed, the veil that separated 
humanity from the glory of God was torn. Revealing that through Christ, all have access to his presence. If it simply stopped there, that would be enough. But it doesn't. John says that Jesus then, John records Jesus saying, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and he will be with you forever. The spirit of truth. That prior to Jesus atoning for our sins, he promises that, that you're not going to fully understand what I'm about to do, but, but once it begins to happen, you'll understand because I'm getting ready to separate that veil that, that exists between you and, him, and, and God. And when I do, I'm going to ask God to take that spirit and place that spirit in you, making you the temple of God, making you the, the dwelling place of the Most High God. First Peter says that he does that because through his atonement and through his sacrifice and through him cleansing us, that we have been, we have been made a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into the light. That, that through, the, through the work of Jesus Christ, you and I have been sanctified as the, as the high priest needed to be sanctified. That God, remo- that God, through the work of Christ on the cross, removed that veil so that, not, so that we could step in and see the Holy of Holies, but so that, that, that the Holy of Holies would be open and that that spirit that dwelled would dwell in us. That we would no longer have to wait for one day out of the year to go and be in the presence of God, but rather God was going to be in us. Titus 3 says, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passion and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating others. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by grace... We might be heirs having hope of eternal life. That the veil has been torn. That you and I are able to enter the Holy of Holies. And that that Holy of Holies now dwells in us. I'm going to get beat you to give me a hand. I know Lowell had done a similar illustration, but... I was thinking about how do I how do I illustrate today, um, and I had talked about using this illustration a while back. But then Lowell used it a couple of Sundays ago, and um, but I want to revisit it because I think it I think it's important for us to really grasp this point. 
Sorry, bear with me. I didn't spread this stuff out properly. A few years ago, I, I did an illustration called the Tupperware Gospel. I talked about how Christ in us, the hope of glory, and we're in Him, and He's in us. And we're in the Father, and the Father's in Him. And, but I want to use this as a, as a temple illustration. So this would represent the Holy of Holies. This would represent the inner courtyard. And this would represent the courtyard of the Gentiles. And I went ahead and, and put red water in here because what I, what I wanted to illustrate is that this would represent the blood of Christ that was shed for me, that, that was poured into me in, in the depths of my soul, in the, in the very intimate place in my spirit, right? And, and that God imparted in me and created me to be his temple and, and to be the holy of holies, the dwelling place of his spirit. Now, that spirit is placed in me. Right? And, and so it is ministering to me. It is ministering to my flesh. Okay? And I'm not of the world, but I'm still very much in the world. Right? Like I'm, I, I exist in the world. And the beauty of what Christ was trying to do is that if I hold this up, you should be able to see Christ in me. Right? That that, that spirit working in me. But here's where you and I still struggle, and that is that we neglect to really understand the weight of sin in our lives, and, and we neglect to understand the sanctification process. Because here's what Galatians says. Galatians says that, that while the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, um, love, joy, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control... Right before that, it says that the acts of the flesh are things like sexual impurity, um, things like um, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, jealousy. And I was thinking about how the impact of those are on our lives, that, that a lot of times while, while there is Christ in me, if I'm not cautious, if I'm not mindful, and I'm, and I'm not dying to myself, if I'm not trying to tame my flesh, then what ends up happening is those, those sins, those desires of my flesh, if I, begin to, if I begin to allow those to take hold, if I begin to allow idolatry, um, greed, pride, envy, self-righteousness, hatred, anger, bitterness, if I begin to allow all of those things into my life and into my flesh, then what happens is that I place a veil over the Holy Spirit working in me, right? And, and remember, I was sanctified. I was intended to, to reveal the glory of God, not hide the glory of God, right? But if I allow, if I'm not careful and I allow this sin into my life, then that's what happens. But, but it actually gets even worse than that because I don't exist in a vacuum, right? I, I live in relationship. I, I have family. I have friends. I have loved ones. And before long, that, that sin begins to spill over into the world that I, I exist in. And those that I'm called to minister to fail to see the Christ in me, but rather they see the sin in me. And just like in the courtyard of the Gentiles, what they begin to associate with the holies of holies is what they see out here. But now here's the beauty of God, and this is what Lowell was sharing with us, is that the beauty of God is, is that the Holy Spirit never ends. 
It never ceases. It exists in abundance. It doesn't have a limited amount of love. It doesn't have a limited amount of joy. It doesn't have a limited amount of patience or kindness or all those things. It, it exists in abundance. And so what Christ is committed to doing is, is, is continuing to, to pour out his spirit so that as he continues to pour out his spirit day in and day out, and I continue to walk in his presence and I continue to walk in, in love and joy and peace and, and the fruits of the spirit before long, it is Christ in me is all that is present. And that's the sanctification process that's taking place in you and I. And I, want us, I don't want us to miss the importance of the Holy Spirit working in us because I recognize that there, there are still things in our flesh that we need to deal with. We need to die to ourselves daily. But I want us to, to recognize that the reason that, that is significant for you and I as a follower and a believer in Jesus is because our ultimate purpose is to, is to glorify Him by allowing Christ in us to be revealed to the world. I want to close with a verse and a... I guess it's a quote we we talked about this morning, but 2 Corinthians says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the glory of God, we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Fellow believers, you and I may be the only Bible somebody reads today. My prayer is that the, that the living word that exists in you invites others into his presence.